Good morning. How are you? Online campus, we'll wave to you as well. Glad that you guys are all here. Um, and we are in the Together series. I am Joel. I'm the Connect Pastor. I get to do small groups and disciple making and stuff like that. So really glad I get to talk to you in this Together series because we've been talking this last couple weeks about how lonely people are, how we just have this epidemic of emptiness and general lack of proper relationships. And what's crazy about all of that is that you and me as the church are perfectly poised to speak to the world about this. The church can uniquely speak to this problem of loneliness by bringing people into relationship with God, by modeling deep and connected, supportive Christian friendships. That, that's, that's what we can do. That's what we should be doing. And that's what we want to talk about. So we've looked at these circles of relationships, right, with God at the center, friends, tribe, the church, and the world. Man, these are all the different circles of relationships that you have, and man, some of these come naturally to us. Some of them take actual work to make sure that they're in alignment, but this is, this is where we're working from. And, and think about from like the beginning, like the word go, God says, let what? Let us make man in our own image. So he creates man, and then immediately says it's not good for man to be alone, like that togetherness. And then he tells Adam and Eve to go be fruitful and multiply. You guys know all this stuff. Then when Jesus comes, he models all of that for us, doesn't it? Like when his ministry starts, what's the first thing that he does? He goes and invites people to be in relationship with him, to follow him, to see how he does it. And then he tells us to go and make disciples that same way. It's it's so much less of an in-church building type of thing than what we oftentimes think about it. And these relationships and togetherness and disciple-making is so much more of a as-you-do-your-regular-life than what we really think about it. What I'm trying to point out is that Jesus' ministry, and by example, then you and I's as well, it can't happen without these relationships. It just can't happen. And so that's the first big hint of what's coming in this twist of how to do this together, because we're going to be talking about having friends and these, having these good relationships, how to make sure that that happens. But there's a twist coming, all right? I just want you to be prepared for that. And in this fall, man, it's so interesting how this fell right then because when we were planning this together series, I was at my absolute lowest point, I think, as an adult when it came to friendships. Can't even explain how it happened, but I was feeling that void and that lack of connectedness with people outside of my family. It may have just been lack of care and, and um, you know, just, just not getting out of my house enough. Obviously, probably um, the pandemic didn't help, but all this stuff um, kind of culminated on the fact that I, I talked to my wife, I, I shed tears in our teaching meeting and be like, yeah, this is something I need to practice right now. This is something that's not right in my world, and I feel the pain of it, and uh, so I need to do something about it. So there I am, like as a as a 40-year-old trying to figure out what that means and what that looks like. And i got to be honest, man, it, it's, um, it's worth it. I, I'm glad that I realized that I had a problem, that I dealt with it some, because um, I'm coming to you in a much better spot. I'm not feeling that, that emptiness, that loneliness on a daily basis um, like I was for a little while there. And this past summer, my girls learned how to swim down at the community pool, and that was cool because kids make friends naturally, don't they? Yeah, like, they, they'll play with somebody on the playground for an hour, and they'll be best friends. But I'm like, hey, wh what's your friend's name? Oh, I don't know. 
<laughs> that, that, that's not important. That's not important. Um, you know, it's not quite that easy for us as adults. So I'm, I'm watching them learn how to swim at our community pool. I'm getting to talk with some of the neighbors who also have kids there. And it's a good excuse, you know, to, uh, to, to meet and, and hang out with some people. But there was this one day where my heart sank pretty hard because my daughter, Juliet, swam up to this group of girls and asked them if she could play with them. And the five-year-old who was clearly in control of this group of girls told her no. And I heard it, and I was like, oh, what is this about? Like, I don't think my, my daughter has experienced um, something like that before. How is she going to handle this? So she just kept swimming around the pool. And, uh, and then like five minutes later, she swims back up to him, and she asks if she can play with him. And the girl tells her no. And I'm like, as a dad, I'm like, there is no way this would be happening if I heard my kids say that to somebody else. But that's not the way the world works. So I was kind of going to let her just play it out. I also wanted to offer her another option. I, I said, hey, do you, you want to do something with me? You know, we can play something. And she told me no. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, is this just like one of those million of things that Jesus loves about children? Like he says that our faith needs to be childlike. Because... How many of us as adults, if we got turned down even half of a time, would be like, um, uh, I'm going to keep pursuing this relationship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and make this work. But no, Juliet went back one, two, three times. God told no. She just kept swimming around the group of girls. And 20 minutes later, I look up from my book, and sure enough, she's taking orders from the five-year-old playing with them just like everybody else. I'm like, oh, that's okay. Well, I don't know what happened if she like just retrieved a toy for him or or the girl, they needed somebody else, but she, she managed to do it. She got in with that, that group of girls and played with them. Here's the definition of friendship that we're working from. It's a, it's a non-romantic relationship that's attachment-based rather than function-based. These are people you want to be around, that you're not obligated to spend time with, but you choose to. You like them. And these aren't trivial or surfacey friend, uh, relationships. Uh, they can handle when there's missteps and mistakes. Do you have friendships like that? Are, are you being fulfilled and poured into and, and reciprocating that with other people? Here's one of my favorite Bible tips when it comes to relationships. And it's one of my favorites because it's so smart and so many of us kind of forget that this even exists. Paul tells the church in Colossae, he tells them, make allowance for each other's faults. Like, like when you go into relationships, go ahead and just figure they're going to let you down and you're going to let them down and that's going to be okay. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Do you do that? I got I to admit, it's not natural for us. We don't we don't uh, identify the people who we think are going to hurt us and then like, oh, all right, let's go, let's go spend some time with them. No, we usually try and find only the people who we think aren't going to hurt us. And then when they do, we're like shocked. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you. You acted like a human. <laughs> it's just, friendships just don't happen as naturally for us as adults. At some point in that transition from adolescence where like your, your friendships are everything and, you know, adults are dumb and they don't understand you. Like, at some point during that transition into adulthood yourself, you lose that, that focus on relationship because it always was there and easy for you, and it transitions to other things, work, family, just, just surviving, 
you know, what, whatever it is, your, tra- your focus transitions away from it, and then we kind of forget how to do it. And so I want to give you some things that are genuinely researched ideas. These are not mine. These are not Shelley's. With some biblical proofs of how to make this togetherness happen. All right. First of all, go first. You can take that first step. It is hard sometimes when you're at a holiday party and you walk in, you know, maybe it's a work thing and you're there with your spouse. You're like, I don't know anybody here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I feel really awkward standing here. It's all right to walk up and, and, and make the first move. Again, this fall, when I was already feeling kind of low, I was pretty excited about the fact that our neighborhood was having a Halloween party. I'm like, great, I'll get to go and maybe actually get to have some more meaningful conversations with some of my neighbors and maybe we'll strike up a friendship and we'll get to watch a soccer game or something later on. We went there and it was that awkward standing around. Hey, how you doing? You know, uh, well, chilly out, isn't it tonight? Is, you know, what do you do for a living? It was a little bit hard to get past that, but I stood around some people. We had dinner. I had to watch the kids sometimes, too. And then at the end of the night, I realized, man, I have had zero meaningful conversations. Like, maybe I didn't put myself out there enough, but sure enough, I wasn't receiving anything back. And have you ever felt like that? Like, man, I just, I, I am just not connecting. The, it, it, it could be me, it could be them, it could be both of us. But I got to tell you, that was a low blow for somebody who was already feeling that void. Maybe you've been there before, but I got to tell you this. I did not in that moment say, oh, I must be unlovable. I'm going to give up on this. In that moment, I didn't say, oh, these people are dumb. I don't want to be with them anyways. No, I just realized, all right, uh, this is not the stage in life where I'm going to be close friends with any of these people. I need to go find a group of people who do have availability for me. And, uh, and I got to go first. I got to keep looking. This is why it's important. Jesus went first. If, if relationships are important to us, then, uh, then we got to make this move. Look at what Jesus did in his three years of ministry. This is not traveling by car. This is on foot. He, he went all over um, Judea, Samaria, and the Galilee, into the 10 cities of Decapolis. He crossed uh, seas and rivers and ended up in Jerusalem. He did all of that because what he had to offer was way too important to leave to chance. He did that because he could have said, developed a name for himself by, by performing miracles and said, all right, you can meet me at the temple in Jerusalem and I will preach to those larger crowds as possible and, uh, and do what I can. But no, he consistently left areas to move on to other areas and people you know, wanted him to stay. It's like, there's more people out there who need me. So, yeah, going first might be starting out with a hard one, but remember this. God has not given us, you, me, a spirit of fear and timidity, but if you have the spirit of Jesus in you, you have that power of love and self-discipline. That, that's what the spirit of God produces in us. You have that. So it's okay to go first. It's okay to take the initiative and make some invites. In, in elementary school, did you guys ever write those notes of like, I like you, do you like me, circle yes or no? Okay, this will be a little less embarrassing then. I, uh, I, found, I found a girl that I liked, and she, liked, and she would circle yes whenever I'd pass her one of those notes. 
So I guess I must have been just the most insecure second grader ever because I must have written her like 50 notes in a week. I had like a whole, whole lunch box pail full of these circle yes or no. <laughs> oh man, and it hurts a lot when you get the no back though, doesn't it? But it's okay, it's okay to send those invites. Um, it, it's okay to ask. When, when I was feeling low, I realized that's what I need to do. I need to just put it on the calendar, I need to ask. And you know what? I had, I had friendships that I just hadn't invested in a while, and as soon as I decided I need to invest in them more, do you think that they immediately had availability? Yeah, Joel, I've been keeping these days open for you. I was just waiting for you to call. No, no, it wasn't like that. I got um, rescheduled, or I'm sorry, I'm already busy, or even worse, just completely ghosted. And it took some time to realize, but that's all right. You need to ask. And and you need to be present in, in these relationships. Sometimes that might mean simple things like putting the phone down. All right, who did we catch? Anybody on their phone right now? Online campus, you in another browser? Okay, it, you, you gotta be present. I, I've heard of families um, who have baskets in their house when they have uh, get-togethers that everybody puts their phone in it and you pick, don't pick it back up until you get out. Our staff meetings at, here at church our part relationship meeting and part business meeting. And for that reason, um, Scott's told us no more laptops and phones. Put them down, close them up. We're, we're talking right now. It's true because you're just not present um, when you have all these distractions and any kind of distraction, whether it be technology or something else, man, they are torpedoes for deep connectedness, for sincerity, like, can you just imagine pouring your heart out to somebody who's, like, scrolling through ESPN? No, like, that's just so demeaning. We, we need to be present with people. And so you need to look around you. This is getting closer to this twist that I was telling you about. Here's another clue from, from Galatians 5.14. The whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you might need to revisit what your definition of neighbor is, right? When someone asks Jesus about that, we'll talk about that in a second. Jesus asks somebody who their neighbor is. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Your neighbor is more than just those humans living close to you. Your neighbor is your mailman. Your neighbor is those parents in the bleachers next to you. Your neighbor is those people um, at those holiday parties. Your neighbor are the people you stand in line next to at all these uh, Christmas get-togethers where you're doing so... Uh, or Christmas things like the Festival of Lights and things like that, where you do almost 50% waiting, 50% Christmas stuff. Your neighbors are the people that you're sitting next to right now. And when you pay attention to moments, good things happen. I'm lucky that I was working on this message when a Matthew 25 uh, delivery truck driver showed up and was delivering two pallets full of um, cleaning supplies. And those pallets, of course, did not fit in the doors that we needed them to go into. So we had four foot by four foot pallets full of cleaning supplies that we had to take the plastic off and move by hand into the room. And I was feeling a little stretched for time this week. So my natural inclination is like, all right, let's get this done as fast as possible and get back to it. But because I was working on this message, I was like, you know what? I need to engage this person. And so I asked him, not just how the weather was, but I asked him, what's it like working for Matthew 25? You know, we, we, you know, we have that kind of connection there. Found out that he's originally from Fairfield. 
So he knew, we knew some of the same people from Fairfield Church of Christ, and, and then we had a good laugh about how uh, my roommate in college dated um, the same girl that his brother dated, and, um, and it was good. At the end of that half hour of working together and, uh, and, and sharing stuff like that, we're now doing Christmas at his parents' house. No, no, we're not doing that. We didn't exchange it. But I do remember his name. I learned his name. Uh, his name's Adam. And, um, and, and, and I, you don't have to be best friends with everybody, okay? It's all right. That, but I would like to think that Adam's day was a little bit richer. And uh, because of that, that camaraderie that we shared for that half hour, 45 minutes, because my day was. Because I was blessed by that. So when you're doing this together stuff, you can be creative. You can, you can have a holiday Christmas cookie decorating thing for the whole neighborhood. You can put together a bonfire and do a s'mores party. You can um, start your own, you know, board game group or something like that. But you can just do conventional stuff too. You can sign up for a small group or a, or a study or join the men's group or, or serve on the, uh, the front line team. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you do that stuff, you do, you, you, you rub shoulders with people, you do things together, but you need to book the time. You need to do the little things, and you need to put yourself out there. You need to remember how intertwined our faith is with how we treat people. Going back to the story of the Good Samaritan, someone asked Jesus who his neighbor was. Jesus says, this whole story about a guy who gets beat up and is left for dead and a priest, and a temple worker, and people like that walk by. People who are supposed to be the good guys of stories, and this Samaritan who did not have his faith right, whose theology and doctrine was not pure, he is the guy who ends up being the hero of the story. Why? Because he treated people the way that Jesus would want him to. And think about what Jesus said in Matthew 25 later on. He said, when the Son of Man, when, when I come back in all my glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and the king will say to all those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my, my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared you for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, feeling uncomfortable, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the people on the right, they're the righteous people. They, they'll answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did... We see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And there's your final hint of why we're talking about this together stuff. Why this is so much more than a self-help about just making friends. It's because these relationships are part of the master's plan. It's because it's only through relationships that people see Jesus for real through you. It's because disciple-making only happens in relationship. 
Jesus invited people to be close to him, to watch how he walked and lived. And if you and I are going to call him our Lord, then we're going to do the same thing. So what you've got to know then is that friendship is not just about you. This is the crazy thing. When we, when we talk about, when we look at these circles and we think about friendships and stuff like that, we immediately just start counting like, all right, do I feel okay? Am, do I have what I need? Do I, do I check these boxes? Okay, good. I'm going to move on. But you need to remember, friendship is not just about you. It's a two-way street. It's what, not just what you get out of it, it's but what other people need from you. That's why God set it up this way, because you and I were fulfilled in good relationships. We, we feel, we, we feel, fill it up when, when, we, when we pursue the things that God tells us. But then other people are also blessed by our friendship as well. When we strive to love each person we encounter, we live lives in a posture of hospitality. To truly make someone leave a space or a conversation feeling more comfortable and refreshed, we must first make them feel known and valued. Just like the early Christians, we are called to be present and extend invitations into our spaces and our lives. Sabrina Dawson, Spiritual Disciplines. Doing life together matters because you just can't show people Jesus. You, you can't be Jesus to other people unless you're in a relationship with them. <clears throat> yeah, we can, we can deliver presence and, and people will feel the love of God. We can serve soup at a soup kitchen and people will feel the love of God. But we need examples to follow. And if other people are going to dedicate their lives to Jesus, they're going to need to see it dedicated in you. Amen? friendships are not just about us. Months after Jesus had left the earth finally, the, the disciples, some of them are, are, are out preaching and the officials are just marveling at the boldness and the clarity of these professional fishermen from, from a different area of the world and they can't figure out why these men um, are, are able to preach so confidently and boldly and, uh, and, and do things that they have been told not to do. We can't even make any sense out of it. And the only conclusion they could draw was that these guys had spent time with Jesus. How special would that be if that was the kind of legacy that you and I left too, that people gathered around and, and talked about their relationship with you. They're like, yeah, this is what I learned from them. This is, this is what I, I gained from that relationship. This is how... I, I learned something new, and I saw Jesus through them. That's the kind of legacy that you and I want. If you picked up one of those handouts of the different types of friendships, man, I went, I, if, you, if you want to, you can pick one out on your way out, but there's just a couple of different types of friends I want you to think about. Do you have a sage friend, a, a friend who listens and prays and advises you wisely that you can trust? Do you have an encourager, a cheerleader who believes in you? And we'll always pick you up. Do you have a foxhole friend? Somebody who you know, that's the person I can go through difficult stuff with. They're going to go shoulder to shoulder with me. Do you have a challenger? I think a lot of us avoid this kind of person. In our, uh, we see them like, oh, they're going to they're not let me settle. They're going to tell me tough truths sometimes. It's a good friend to have, though, even though it doesn't feel like it all the time. Do you got a fun friend who brings the party with them? You're like, no, I take care of that myself. 
No, do uh, you got a planner? The organized, thoughtful friend who makes things happen? Go ahead and take a second. If you got one of those handouts, you can fill one of those out. We got, we got them on the website too. But I want you, as you're also thinking like, do I have this kind of support system, this eclectic group of relationships? I want you to also think about what am I to other people? And, and you are not a one-dimensional person. You are a lot of different these things to a lot of different people. To your nieces and nephews, hopefully you're more of a sage than the party bringer. <laughs> to, uh, to your friends from high school, hopefully you, know, you can be that foxhole friend or, or the planner. Or, you know, to, to your work companions, maybe you can be the challenger or the encourager. But I want you to think about what of these am I to other people because friendship is not just about me. Remember, you and I as the church that has been sent out to make disciples, we are perfectly poised to speak to and bless the world in this void that they're feeling and the loneliness is out there that we can erase. We can erase with our hospitality and inviting people in and doing life with us. And we've got something to help you out too. We're not just talking about this. We're going to go and do it. Some people have put together some take-home cocoa kits. Yep, that's what you saw, those, those things with the marshmallows. And pick one of those up and make a plan of who you're going to connect with this week. Say, you know what, we're going to meet for coffee or we're going to meet for cocoa. This is a good reminder. I'm going to take one of these with me. We're going to go do this. All right, do that on your way out because you, each of us, you and me both, we have been uniquely gifted to bless other people because we need these friendships and other people need you and I's friendship. So let's let Peter have the last word. He, he tells people, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So use them well to serve one another. Father, we, we thank you for blessing us, for giving us the opportunity to not just thrive, not just survive, but to thrive, that, that we can be a blessing to other people, that we're not a charity case even though we are completely dependent upon your grace, God, you have given us a mission in this world. God, help us to open up our eyes to the people who are out there who are hurting, who, who need someone to speak out, be first, and, and make those invitations, God. God, I pray that the men and women here would be filled up in their, in their friendships and relationships and their, in their church and throughout the world and be able to bless people. But God, we pray that, um, that we would also get to be that for other people. And we thank you so much. And we get to celebrate you entering this world at this time of year and just how, how wonderful it is. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.